Hey, welcome back to TBT's podcast. It's been a while. This is Dan Friel, and I have with me today Jake Pavorsky and Josh Brown. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. Another year of TBT upon us, so it's a uh, fun time of year. Absolutely. And Jake, how about yourself? I'm doing excellent, Dan. Nothing better than TBT season in June and July. Guys, we are so close to TBT tipping off. It actually starts tomorrow in Spokane, Washington, as part of a revolutionary big, uh, sorry, Hoop Fest pod that we're doing up there in conjunction with the Spokane Hoop Fest. That's going to be an awesome event that starts tomorrow up in Spokane. And then at the day after that in Milwaukee, we're doing a Big East pod with four mostly Big East alumni teams that are going to take place. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But guys, can you believe that, that uh, TBT is here again already? No, I can't, Dan. I mean, it seemed like it really does seem like yesterday we were in Baltimore and like overseas elite was celebrating on the court. So it's crazy. It's already been a year. Um, we've all been looking forward to it for a while. And like you said, we just have like a, a bunch of like cool initiatives, whether it be the Big East, whether it be Hoop Fest, whether it be the Elam ending, which I'm sure we'll at least touch on when we're talking about these games. So just like a lot of cool things going on with TBT this year. So I, I'm it, it was a long time waiting. But, it, you know, like we said, we're glad it's finally here. And that's right. And Jake, as you know, we have more hours on ESPN this year than we've ever had before. In fact, some of the first and second round games from the Midwest Regional are actually going to be on the main network on ESPN and on the secondary network on ESPN2. But every game is going to be streamed live, including the games that are starting up this weekend in Spokane. So let's just roll right on to that if we can. So as we mentioned, we have uh, an initiative with the Spokane Hoop Fest this year in which four teams are going to compete to advance to the round of 16. This is a first-round matchup. It comes within the West region. So these are basically four teams that would have otherwise been in the West regional. We have Few Good Men, which is a mostly Gonzaga alumni team, uh, TBT veterans of, of this will be their third year, I believe. Team Utah, a four-year TBT team, and has always done well in TBT. We have the Air Force Bomb Squad, one of only five original TBT teams that are still competing in TBT, as well as a first-year entrant, Gale Force, which is a St. Mary's alumni team. That Gonzaga-St. Mary's matchup potentially in the second round is pretty tasty for all the fans up there in Spokane. But Jake, what are your initial thoughts when you look at this? We have a matchup between Few Good Men and Team Utah, as well as a matchup between Gale Force uh, the St. Mary's alumni team and the Air Force bomb squad. So let's start with that second one first, which will happen at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Friday. Yeah, I give the first of all, let me just say that the Hoop Fest is a fantastic initiative. I'm excited to, that we're able to be a part of that. You know, the biggest three on three tournament in the world. It's great to to bring a five on five initiative there and to, you know, allow those those Gonzaga guys to, to play in front of their home crowd again. And uh, it'll be good. You know, Air Force is one of the few teams that has been in this all five years. And they may be one of the most losingest teams in TBT history, but they certainly have the most heart. And we're excited to have them back out there and give them a shot to, to get off the schneid uh, in a respect. But. I'll tell you what that Gale Force team is is not one to be uh, to be messed with this year. They are going to be probably one of the toughest newest alumni teams that we have in this tournament. A great mix of good point guard play, good shooting, good bigs. They have a little bit of everything. And when you kind of go through their roster and you see what these guys did in at, when they were in college, I mean, Rob Jones, fifteen point scorer, Stephen Holt, fifteen point scorer, Omar Samhan, nineteen points in his senior year, Calvin Hermanson has shot over forty percent from his career from three. I mean. They have a little bit of everything, exactly what you need in TBT. Uh, really good guards, really good shooting, and guys who can be mismatches on the low block. So, I, not to look past the other teams, but if, when you look at Gale Force and how they stack up with all these other teams, not even in, in the Hoop Fest pod, but in TBT in general, uh, they could be you know knocking on 
the door for the West Regional title, provided they can get out of these these first couple games. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one thing that's interesting, you know, as it happens often in TPT, and it frankly happens almost with every single team, there's a couple of last minute scratches for them. Uh, Kerry Carter apparently got hurt. Emmett Nahr uh, got called up to summer league. He just graduated this year from St. Mary's. And Diamond Simpson literally just signed a contract on Tuesday to play in the Philippines. So they've got seven, but the seven that they have, Jake, I mean, uh, Josh, really look like they're solid, a solid, solid team. And this is a team that a lot of people are picking to potentially make it through the West region. Yeah, I mean, Jake mentioned it right there. I mean, they're going to have to shoot the ball well. That's what St. Mary's does. They're they're a team who relies a little bit uh, on their three-point shooting. At least in recent memory, they've kind of, you know, carried the same system with them for quite a while up, uh, or I should say out west there. So, yeah, they're going to have to shoot the ball well. They have a very good roster. Um, Like you mentioned, even with a couple of guys who aren't going to show up, they're obviously led by Mickey McConnell, who, I mean— you know, they're very talented, but he just has them organized and ready to go, which when we talk about TBT is just so important. Having your guys, again, ready to go, being organized, kind of knowing what you're there to do. Um, and that's something that Air Force has as well with Matt Holland. He's done a great job with them. But yeah, I mean, just talent-wise, it's a really good team. Um, I think Air Force, on the other end, is bringing one of their better teams uh, to TBT this year. Um, they have uh, the little point guard, Trevor Lyons. He's a guy who I was watching some of his highlights. He can finish in the lane. He can shoot the ball well. He's a really good player for that team. Uh, he'll be kind of helped out in the backcourt by C.J. Siples, who's another kind of shifty guard. So Air Force is bringing a really good team. I think the, a better team than they brought the last couple of years. So I think, uh, you know, Gale Force is going to be the favorite, but I actually think it, it's going to be a really good matchup out there in Hoopfest. Yeah, and one thing that's always tough when you play Air Force is to match up against the offense, which we all know is the Princeton offense. And it was run so well while they're, these guys were there, and they continue to run it. Uh, well after their graduation. So anyways, it's really great that this uh, matchup is going to take place. It'll be St. Mary's versus Air Force. That's at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern uh, tomorrow night on Friday, the 29th of June. Following that matchup is the home team, Few Good Men, against one of their arch rivals, I think it's fair to say. They've played them twice already in TPT in in their two years that they've competed, which is Team Utah. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's definitely a matchup that even if you're not a fan of either of those teams, if you're just a fan of TBT, that you're going to be looking forward to. Uh, It's a little bit of a new look, few good men team, but they do return, um, you know, a couple of their their kind of mainstays. And, you know, they have Stephen Gray coming back. They have Blake Stepp coming back. Uh, And I, I thought... Something I really liked is they added Matt Bolden, who played for that Fort Wayne Champs team last year. He was really kind of the MVP of that team um, out in Peoria last year. He can shoot the ball really well. He was just kind of a leader on that team. And, and that was a team who had a lot of guys with, you know, D-League, obviously, and overseas experience who um, were, you know, really professional players. And he kind of rose above all of them. And, and again, like I said, was the leader of that team. So I uh, kind of like the additions that they've made, kind of bringing back a couple of guys that I mentioned uh, and a couple of new faces. So it's a good few good men team against a Team Utah team who we always kind of joke here at TBT that they're maybe the hardest out in, um, in you know, out of all the teams, just because they play so hard, um, 
you know, some of the guys you might not know on the roster, but when you look at, you know, the Drisdom brothers, when you look at uh, Dakari Tucker, you look at Sean Green, they're just a team who plays really hard. Uh, they look forward to TBT every year, and uh, they've had a new, they got brought on a new coach in Scott Fields, who they've been practicing pretty much every night out in Utah, and I heard um, they were actually planning to go on a retreat out in the mountains somewhere to just get some team bonding going on. So they're a team taking TBT really seriously, and I think, as always, they're going to be a really tough out. What's amazing is remember that that West Regional last year. I think it's at one point uh, it was Utah almost had a chance to beat Few Good Men. I think it was Tim Drisden that came down. He had about a fifty footer that just rimmed out, and they would have beat them again for the second year in a row. Uh, Drisden's a guy that I, I don't know how he does it, but he turns it on for TPT every single year, Jake. Um, and he has his brother, obviously Terrence, on the team for the last couple of years as well. But this um, this Utah team is really interesting. There's a couple of guys on the on there that really ought to keep an eye on. I've been hearing some really great things about Brandon Sly, who just finished up at Adams State University, and he's a kind of a five eleven, five ten, really quick point guard. And people are telling me that that's a guy that can really go. So that Utah team is a very very dangerous team, certainly for the home team to play. Dad, Dad, I'll one tell you note what, there. Dan, Brandon you, Sly. Uh, Josh, why don't Sorry, you go yeah, ahead? Brandon Josh. Sly, yeah, Brandon Sly is actually the adopted son of the coach Scott Fields. Um, is that right? And I, I was talking, yeah, yeah, I was talking to Scott, and he said Brandon Sly, you know, he he only played at Adams State, like you said, so he doesn't have quite the college pedigree of some of these other guys, but he's really trying to use TBT as a way to kind of showcase his skills. Like you said, Danny's another one of those kind of shifty point guards who can get in the lane and finish in the lane. And um, his coach and stepfather, Scott Fields, is really excited to kind of uh, let him shine on the stage. That's fantastic. Uh, Jake, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I'll, I'll look at more of a, uh, a specific matchup within these two teams. It's, it's the matchup of the, the two big men here. You have a Cole to Manyang versus Robert Upshaw. And Manyang was a guy who was two years ago was playing at the University of Oklahoma and didn't get a ton of time, so he transferred down a little bit to Utah Valley, put up fantastic numbers this year. Uh, almost 11 points a game, 8 rebounds, over 2 blocks per game. And I, I watched him a couple times this year. I watched their their game against Duke earlier this season. And this man is a force to be reckoned with down low. Big body, super chisel, big athlete, gets very in the games, loud, aggressive. And you're putting him up against the guy in Robert Upshaw, who people may remember that name as a guy who was viewed at as a, a former first-round talent not too long ago and had some issues at Washington and is kind of trying to get his career back on track. But this is someone who is also very clearly talented, who had a, a solid year at Washington, putting himself on that NBA spectrum. Again, another guy who averaged 10 points, 8 rebounds, uh, o- almost 5 blocks per game, Dan. 4.47 blocks per game in 19 games at Washington. Watching those two guys go to work against each other on the low block is going to be something to something to behold. And you look at the rest of the few good Ben roster, Stephen Gray might be the most underrated player in TBT. I mean, all he does is get buckets every single year. 33 points against Team Utah last year, 31 points in the game before that. He's just a smooth scorer, and he does it in a way that just kind of fits in the flow of the offense. He's not trying to do too much for that team. It's not takeover ball. He just finds a way to get his buckets. He's a very efficient scorer, and they'll have to, Team Utah will have to find a way to keep the ball out of his hands, just like uh, a few good men will have to find a way to keep the ball out of big shot Tim Drisdom's hands if the game gets on the line. There's a lot here for, I think, uh, especially Gonzaga fans to, to latch on to. Not only, I guess, anyone that lives in, in the eastern Washington area, but there's really so much going on here. One fascinating subplot I find is that Casey Calvary is going to suit up. Uh, Casey's about 39, I think, maybe 40 years old. And I was talking to some folks out there in Spokane. He still plays 
very, very regularly and it makes a habit of trying to abuse younger guys if he can. And uh, heard recently he threw down on some guy that was like a 21 year old college junior. And there was some fear that the kid might quit the game of basketball based upon how Casey was treating him on the court. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this goes. But there's a lot here. I mean, you've got guys just from Gonzaga alone, all of whom started for the you know, what is probably one of the best, you know, five or 10 programs in the country over the last 20 years. Uh, Sam Dower was a starter. Matt Bolden was obviously a starter. Drew Barham was a starter. And as you go on down the list, uh, you've got Stephen Gray, who you just mentioned. Um, and then bringing in some really fascinating non-Zags to this roster, Devontae Lacey, who played at Washington State, is a guy that they're very high on, as well as you mentioned Robert Upshaw and Jacob Wiley, uh, who it looked like might be a scratch, uh, but I've heard recently, obviously, it should be there this weekend. Uh, looks like he could be a real important player for them as well. So this is going to be a really great matchup between uh like I said, mostly a Gonzaga alumni team versus Team Utah, uh, which I think Utah really represents some of the best from that entire state. So that's going to be a great matchup. That game is going to take place at 10 p.m. Eastern time and 7 p.m. Pacific, again, on Watch ESPN. Guys, what do you think of Dan Dickow being the color commentator for that game? Do you think he'll have a little bias uh, for his Gonzaga guys? I think he'll try not to, but at the end of the day, it's kind of natural. He might be the first player coach broadcaster in TBD history, right, Dan? I think he has to be. I can't think of anybody else that has been a player, coach. He might have been a GM one year, and then obviously now he's broadcasting the game, but really great for him to to be able to do this uh, on his hometown. Um, the game itself is actually going to take place at what I understand is a really beautiful gym named Lewis and Clark, uh, which is right in the middle of Hoop Fest. I've never been there, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how this whole thing lays out. From my understanding, there's just hundreds of thousands of basketball fans and players who just descend on downtown Spokane. The whole thing shuts down. They play the national anthem at 8 a.m on Saturday morning and everybody stands at attention. So it's really going to be a fantastic weekend up there in Spokane. Again, those games will be on Watch ESPN, ESPN3. Be sure to catch those. They are going to feature the Elam ending, which which I think we ought to address, guys. Let's talk about it right after we talk about what's going to happen in the uh, Big East pod, which will take place in Milwaukee. Now, these games tip off on Saturday, June 30th. They feature mostly alumni teams from Marquette, St. John's, Seton Hall and Georgetown. Uh, Golden Eagles alumni are the Marquette team. They play the St. John's alumni team, the Johnnies. Uh, this game really looks great. And I think the more I look at these rosters, the better I uh, I feel about the, the level of competition that's going to take place out here, guys. This is really going to be a great matchup between the Golden Eagles and the Johnnies. What are your thoughts on this one, uh, Jake? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a, a really good game. This Golden Eagles team they come prepared every single year with some very loaded talent, and obviously they have some different players this year. Dwight Bikes is, you know, now in the NBA, and you lose a guard like that who's, you know, always putting up a lot of points for you. You have to find a way to replace that, and I think they've done that really well with this team. Anytime you can return your kind of your three-headed monster in Darius Johnson-Odom, Jarrell McNeil, and Jamil Wilson, uh, it's a fantastic opportunity. Jamil Wilson obviously had a cup of coffee with the late with the Los Angeles Clippers this year. Did a really good job with them. Uh, having him on this team this summer is a real coup for them. And you kind of look for an X factor on this team, and that could be Travis Diner, who two years ago was actually on the sidelines coaching this team. His story is actually. Uh, Pretty remarkable. Obviously, this was a guy who had a great career at Marquette, was drafted in 2005 in the second round, and had played in the NBA for the better part of five years and signed a contract uh, in Italy with Dynamo Sarri uh, back in 2010. Ended up sticking around until 2014. Uh, two-time All-Star, Italian Cup MVP. They won the Italian Cup in 2014. The team actually retired his number. 
Uh, his number 12 now hangs in the rafters of the arena, which is, you know, for American players, and you hear from guys who play in TBC all the time, you're lucky to spend two seasons with one team, let alone four when you're overseas. So the fact that he was able to do that was incredible. I guess he felt like he accomplished all that he needed to because in 2014 he retired, was the director of player personnel at Marquette for three years, hence him coaching on the team in 2016. And for some reason got the itch last year to, to try and, uh, you know, put the shoes back on and sign with another team in Italy's second division. Uh, and for a guy, you know, who's 35, now 36 years old, who hadn't played professional basketball in four years, uh, he hung in there pretty well, you know, for Cremona off the bench for them this year. Shot the ball lights out as he typically does. And now he's going to step off the bench and play for the Golden Eagles this year, trying to replace Dwight Bikes as their point guard. If he can get out there, you know, knock down some threes, kind of facilitate the offense for them, that is a huge X factor that a lot of people are probably overlooking given his age and the fact that he's typically been off the court for so long. But this is a guy who, you know, is still looking to continue his pro career even at age 36. You know, he's someone to watch on that Golden Eagles team for sure. Yeah, that whole that whole story with Travis Diener is really fantastic and obviously a fan favorite at Marquette. Those games are being played at the Al McGuire Center. Could it be any better than that, Josh, playing these games on campus at Marquette? No, it can't be, Dan. And uh, I mean, you, who knows at Marquette? You know, Dwayne Wade, Doc Rivers. Who knows who'll show up there at uh, at uh, Marquette up in Milwaukee? Just a great venue uh, for those games. Great school, great basketball tradition. Um, Jake had some really a- kind of excellent tidbits there uh, on the Golden Eagles. I like this uh, Johnny's team though too. I thought Seth Greenberg. Um, made a good point. Obviously, uh, they would have, I'm sure, loved DJ Kennedy uh, and Burrell and all them on that team, but uh, even without them, they just have a really good team. Obviously, uh, the name that most people are going to know is Anthony Mason Jr., um, very good player for them. Obviously, uh, that name alone kind of brings a lot of pedigree uh, to this team, but then you look at uh, just up and down, Jamal Branch, Malik Booth, who bo- he balled out uh, last year with um, that Washington Generals team. He played really well for them. Um, just a guy who, who was, again, one, kind of one of the leaders on that team. So uh, I think Kevin Clark has them in good shape. I think the Johnny's team will be ready. Uh, the Golden Eagles are going to have a home crowd advantage. They're going to have a little bit of a talent advantage. But I do think this Johnny's team has a lot of good talent on it, even without some of their best players who are obviously playing for overseas elite. It shows kind of how deep of a, of a basketball tradition that St. John's has had uh, as well, in addition to Marquette, obviously. But uh, again, just uh, this is one of those matchups where it's a 3-14 matchup, but it does doesn't really feel like it. It feels like it could be an 8-9 kind of matchup or, um, you know, somewhere in that range just because I, I don't think these teams are as separated as the seeding indicates. But that's kind of what TBT is all about. You have a bunch of teams who are very kind of close together and uh, someone's got to be the three, someone's got to be the 14. It ended up being these two, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than that. Yeah, the seeding for the Big East pod and the HoopFest pod just really had to plug in where we could put them. And I think you're right. It's really not a 3-14. I think this St. John's team is much better than than a 14 seed would typically be. Malik Booth has played in TBT before. Uh, they've got a lot of talent on this team. I think they're very excited in the outreach that I've had with these guys. They seem excited to be putting on this uniform and to be back representing the school uh, in the Big East pod. So it's really going to be a fantastic matchup. That game is actually the second game. So we went out of order here. That game is going to be at 5 p.m. Eastern on Watch ESPN 
ESPN3 live from Milwaukee. So that one's really one to look forward to. But the game that precedes that, guys, has a lot of intrigue, uh, really based upon some stuff that has happened just over the last 48 hours uh, with what was supposed to be a full Georgetown alumni team. So let me give you a little bit of background. As you know, in TBT, uh, these guys oftentimes will have other contracts that come up or things that occur that uh, there's really not much that, that certainly we can do about, but that happens. So we've had a really fascinating roster overhaul uh, fascinating and expensive roster overhaul uh, for this Georgetown alumni team uh, that has taken place just over the last 48 hours. So by way of background, what seemed to have occurred is that a couple of guys got contracts to play uh, in the Dominican Republic. Um, that then led to a little bit of a, a cascade of uh, players um, not being able to play. So from that point, it really fell to Devontae Smith Rivera to turn out to be the absolute leader of this team. He really grabbed the bull by the horns. Uh, Devontae is from Indianapolis and quickly pulled together three guys from Indianapolis, uh, although not Georgetown alum, really solid players that have played uh, at pretty high levels. Uh, Deshaun Francis, UW Green Bay, John Murray, Alvin Booty, PJ Booty, and Mike Ramey. They're now going to be joined by two recent Georgetown players, Trey Dickerson and Jonathan Mulmore. So between that, we have, I think, five new players on this roster, maybe maybe six new players on this roster to join Aaron Bowen, uh, who is definitely uh, apparently in Bradley Hayes and Devontes. So a new look roster for this Georgetown team, which is going to result in a lot of fun activity. I think Devontes has really kind of proven himself uh, to be a, a really great leader for this team. Uh, Tyler Adams, a recent Georgetown grad, is now going to coach the team as well. So a bit of an overhaul, kind of a fun thing that can only happen in TBT, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dan, you tweet all the time that it's harder to be a TBT GM than an NBA GM. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of, th- you know, things like this kind of show that. I mean, you never know when a contract's going to pop up and you got to readjust the roster a little bit. And um, it's just kind of all part of the fun of TBT. Um, and I don't think I would want it any other way. It kind of brings up these kind of fun storylines and and um you know at the end of the day we're going to see a really good jack attack team Devontes, like you said it's kind of pulled this together obviously he's a very good player um first team all big east in 2015 i believe he was a member of the big east all rookie team as well his uh freshman year so uh, it's going to be interesting to see this jack attack team uh if they can gel together quickly obviously they have a couple of indianapolis guys so i don't think you're going to see from them too much of a drop off between you know that college chemistry and some of that um, kind of hometown chemistry that Devontae's has with a couple of the guys on this reloaded roster. So I think it's going to be very fun uh, to watch. They're going to have a really tough opponent. Um, but like you said, Dan, that's all kind of part of the fun of TBT, seeing how these rosters kind of shake last minute, how they come together. And, um, you know, this Jack Attack team, their original roster was really good, but I think this revamped roster is really good as well. And one that can certainly come out of this pod, uh, you know, like they could have a couple, you know, 48 hours ago with the team that yeah. they had. No, no doubt. And the thing that's interesting is that you just never know. And the one thing that surprises me every summer is that you do never know how these teams are going to come together. Some teams practice for two weeks and they get blown out in the first game. Some teams, some teams come together. The guys have never played together in the same court on a five-on-five scenario, and they suddenly win TBT three times in a row. And so with Overseas Elite as an example, I mean, remember back in 2015 when they first played down in Atlanta, where our South Region was that year, they were 15 minutes away from starting the game with four players. And suddenly Travis Bader, uh, was it Travis Bader, right, that showed up? Um, 
he was yeah. the fifth guy. So he was the fifth guy that showed up. They won the first day with five. They won the second day with six. And the next thing you know, they're rolling on 19 to 0 and they've won $5 million. So you never know what's going to happen with these teams. Some teams just click. Guys that you never think are going to be successful in TBT end up dominating. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be really interesting to see how it works and how it comes together for this, uh, this new look Jack Attack team. Uh, Jake, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, it's going to be a good one for sure, and I like the what you know Holland has done with their squad as well. They've had to make a couple changes based on some some summer league uh, invites, and you know they have what Jamar Wise has done with his team to you know really go deep in, in finding some Seton Hall guys, and uh, you know when when one guy had a bow out, they brought in another, and you have J.R. Morris, who's a really solid shooter at at Seton Hall for the first couple years uh, of the early two thousands, and Keon Lawrence, Jamel Jackson as well, who were on the team for a couple years, and I'm sure are are kind of looking to to kind of reinvent themselves in the light of, of Seton Hall fans. And then, obviously, you have some pure scorers on that team. Paul Gaw is a TBT champion in 2014 with the Notre Dame alumni team. Jeremy Hazel was a two-time 20-point scorer during his Seton Hall career. And I'll, I'll give you another X factor in uh, late edition, Quentin DeCozy, who doesn't have ties to Seton Hall necessarily, but is a Northern Jersey guy, went to Temple University, and as a Temple University alum and a former manager on the team who was there overlapping with DeCozy for two years, I can tell you that this man is a true bucket getter, will step into that role that Fukon Edwin uh, has left open and will fill it perfectly. Can absolutely score the lights out of the ball. If you need an ISO guy, a late late shot guy, will absolutely be that for you. Was that guy for Temple against Iowa in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Uh, actually got fouled shooting a three, went to the line, ice in his veins, knocked all them all down. Uh, took that game to overtime. So he's going to be a really solid addition for that team. And, you know, if they were able to make it out of this weekend and you get those guys who had some league obligations back, Adeen Carrington, Fuquan Edwin, this is a team that is is going to be dangerous in Atlanta. And, you know, you kind of look at, at these games in general, both the Big East games and the Hoop Fest games, and you kind of compare them to the play-in games of the NCAA tournament. It seems like every year there's always one team from those play-in games that kind of makes a run into the Super 16 Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament because these games give them such great early preparation to get themselves going. This could be the same case in TBT. Obviously, this is a first-time kind of thing that we're doing here, but you could have these teams that you know have got together for the past couple weeks or, or maybe kind of just getting gelled you know, a couple days before the event, find the rhythm in these first couple weekends of games, and then really carry that momentum into the later parts of the tournament. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I love the roster overhauls and changes that happen at the last minute. It's kind of what makes, for me, TBT so intriguing and fun. Um, you really just never know what you're going to get. Also, it makes picking your bracket exceptionally difficult. Uh, so for those of you who have not yet competed, remember that you have to enter your bracket before these games tip off on Friday, June 29th. If you win and if you finish in the top 10, there's a whole litany of amazing prizes, everything from eggs for a decade to being able to pick an at-large team in TBT 2019 to making your support worth that of a 1,000 supporters. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. Speaking of cool stuff, guys, I want to talk about a couple of really great developments for TBT. The first one is the Elam ending, which we implemented last year at the Jamboree, which was a playing event we did. We tested it over 11 games. As a fan, I sat there with my heart pounding watching these games come down to the wire. Reminded me much more of almost your last at bat in a baseball game in the ninth inning when you're down by a couple of runs. But Josh, your thoughts on the Elam ending, the implementation of it. Um, I guess we should probably talk a little bit about how it, how it works, too. Uh, the basic idea is that at the four-minute mark of the game, the first dead ball causes the game clock to go off. So now there's no more game clock involved. You add seven to the team that's in front. And then that becomes the target score. And now it's the first team to reach that target score. So, for example, if a team is up 70 to 63, 
the first dead ball at the four minute mark, the clock goes off. And now the target score is 77. So it's the first team to 77. So in that 70 to 63 scenario, the team that's behind could go on a 14 to six run, just make a few stops in the defensive end, go on a 14 to six run and win that game. On the other hand, the team that's ahead only has to go down the court potentially three times to win it. So Josh, your thoughts on the Elam ending and its implementation across the board throughout all TBT games this year. Yeah, yeah, Dan, I think it's great. And I'm I'm not just saying that because we're on the TBT podcast. I think anyone who watched um, the Jamboree or who was there in attendance can attest to that. I don't think there was anybody in that crowd who wasn't fascinated by the, you know, the way these games were ending. We saw comebacks. We saw teams who were up just kind of finish the game. I think that's one thing people are worried about is that it gives an advantage to the team who is behind. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's um, it's certainly different, but I think if you're playing a good game, all you need to do is score, you know, seven points and the game's over. That's a cut. That's, you know, as little as three possessions uh, to get to the target score. But if you're trailing, you know, you're down in that five to seven point range, like Seth Greenberg talked about uh, on Twitter, all of a sudden you're not playing the clock anymore. You're not rushing possessions to try to get uh, points and get back in it. All of a sudden it's only get a stop, make a bucket, get a stop, make a bucket, like Seth talked about. And um, I, I think it just makes a better game. It makes, you know, like Nick Elam said, it makes basketball the end of the game you know, you have to make a basketball play to win the game, not just make a free throw, which there could be games that end on free throw, uh, free throws. We saw that in the Jamboree, but most of these games are going to be made on an actual basketball play. Um, I think it's great. I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, and it should be kind of a good addition. I know a lot of NBA, you know, uh, executives and G League executives are going to be watching it very closely. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if it if it um, you know turns out as good as I know it's going to turn out, and as good as we all know it's going to turn out. How you know what the future of the Elam ending is, and how it can kind of uh, expand in the future. Absolutely. And Jake, you know, it's been a source of contention and it's actually fun to, to listen to that and to watch, you know, what people's opinions are of this thing. I think without having really seen it in a wide use yet. Uh, there's a lot of people that are a little nervous about it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think nervousness is good. I know. I think all that stuff, the contention, the you know, the points of interest in this kind of thing is is why people will tune in because it is so interesting. It's so dynamic and new and unique to the game of basketball, and could you know very well down the line be revolutionary and changing the way we look at the game itself. So it'll be good to see people who weren't able to catch it in the Jamboree games follow it this year. And you know, like Josh says, there are going to be people from the NBA that are going to be very interested in it. And going on Twitter yesterday, I saw Clarence Gaines, the VP of Play- Player personnel for the New York Knicks tweeting about it, seeing how it's an interesting idea, looking forward to seeing it used in action. So there are very high people in high places that want to see this implemented and want to see how this works. And, you know, from watching the, the Jamboree games up close last year, I can tell you that all these finishes are exciting. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, is what we're looking for in basketball games. It's not necessarily about the purity of seeing things run down to zero. It's, it's about the wholesomeness and the excitement of watching these games in general and having a, a finish that isn't, you know, dictated by fouling and just watching a team that's up 15 points, you know, slowly wind the clock down until the game is over. We want to see action all the way through, through all, you know, 
40 minutes of basketball in general, and I think the Elam ending helps you provide that, allows teams to, you know, that are behind to not really pack in and then foul, but to kind of just continue to play straight up and defend. And I think we're still seeing strategies kind of being fleshed out and implemented, and I'm excited to see how these, you know, all these teams in this tournament really try and use the Elam ending to their advantage and really strategize around it. And, you know, hopefully this is something that, you know, we have this year that works out fantastically. And, you know, we have a $2 million championship game that is decided by, you know, one single shot on the line, you know, with a, a, which is technically, you know, going to be a buzzer beater in, in the sense of TBT. And, you know, hopefully this is something that can really captivate the basketball world and we bring it back next year and uh, use it again and, and then people are a little bit more happy about it. Yeah, and I think that shot on August 3rd where somebody makes a shot for $2 million, no matter how it happens, three-pointer, layup, dunk, free throw, either way, the confetti is going to fall. It's going to be a fantastic thing as a fan to see. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing these games. And I think the strategy element of it is one that is going to be very intriguing. Uh, Guys, the other big thing I wanted to talk about is obviously the TBT has uh, signed Puma as our primary sponsor this year for apparel, footwear, and everything else. This is really a great development. Puma seemed like they just relaunched out of nowhere uh, last week by signing three of the top, I think, 14 or four of the top 15 uh, players in the NBA draft. Jay-Z is their creative director. Uh, and obviously linking up with TBT was the, uh, the hopefully the cherry on the Sunday for them uh, last Friday. But guys, your thoughts on linking up with Puma? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great, Dan. You guys, uh, all you have to do if to, to kind of know that this Puma, um, you know, relationship is, is a good one is all you have to do is see this gear that is sitting in TBT HQ right now. It's amazing. Uh, Puma has just done a great job, like you talked about, Dan. Um, you know, like you said, for the top 15 or whatever the exact number was, um, a couple of guys who are going to be probably NBA All-Stars, if not Hall of Famers, for years to come. And also offering that deal uh, to any TBT 2018 player who next year or this coming year signs a deal with an NBA team. I mean, how cool is that? What other company is offering, um, you know, something like that, something as innovative as that? Uh, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's, you're going to see guys who, uh, I mean, everyone already plays so hard in TBT, but if you know, you know, hey, if I get a 10 day contract, I'm going to get. I'm going to, you know, be able to partner with a great company like Puma. I think it's going to even raise the competition level even more. I think it, this is awesome. Uh, and like I said, the, the biggest part is I can't wait for everyone to see the gear because I'm staring at it all literally as we talk right now. And it's really amazing. Uh, Jake, what are you, you're, you're kind of a sneaker guy, right? What do you think of these new Puma shoes that they released? I am a sneaker guy, and, you know, a little bit I was hesitant at first, you know, when you try and see uh, a new brand try and rework their way back into the market, but I'll tell you what, I like the ones that I've seen so far. The Clyde Frazier ones are clean. Uh, the ones that Zyre Smith, the newest Sixer, was wearing, I'm not entirely sure the name of them, but uh, I really like what they have going on there, and I'm looking forward to, to putting on a pair myself and being able to, to wear the gear, you know, throughout this upcoming weekend, throughout TBT in general. What Puma's doing is, you know, they're striking while the iron's hot, and they're, they're finding a void in the basketball world. And, you know, and I think that's kind of what TBT has done in general, which makes, you know, perfect sense in this partnership. TBT has tried to fill the void in the summertime where, you know, have high level basketball that typically isn't there. And now here's Puma trying to sort of break down barriers in the same sense Uh, It's a fantastic partnership. I'm glad we can be a part of it. Uh, It shows you how impactful TBT has been in the basketball world over the past couple years that, you know, a company like Puma that's already a high riser in the basketball world after being out of the game for 20 years wants to align with us so i think we can all give ourselves a pat on the back and you know make us want to grind 
even harder to build up this partnership and to you know to do great things with it and hopefully you know part of it results in a lot of these guys end up receiving full endorsement deals after TBT is done when they sign NBA deals and we had you know 16 guys last year at some point sign a deal in the NBA wouldn't surprise me if you know that number was at that level or even higher this year so I think Puma should expect to be adding a uh, a couple more official athletes this September and October. Well said. All right. Well, as a reminder, TBT launches again for the fifth year, which is unbelievable to me. The fifth tournament is going to start on Friday, June 29th from up in Spokane. Those games will be uh, live streamed on Watch ESPN and the ESPN3 uh, channel, online channel. They'll continue on Saturday, June 30th with the Big East pod live from Milwaukee. Again, Watch ESPN, ESPN3. And then we we really get rolling, guys, on the regular regional action that's going to start up on the 13th of July from the south and the west. That's Richmond, Virginia and LA. And then the following weekend, we're live from Columbus, Ohio, and from Brooklyn, New York. So this is really going to be a great summer. Guys, we'll be back later on this summer to talk a little bit more about these other regionals. Hopefully, we'll have some preview pods for them as well. And uh, we'll have some great stuff coming on later with the TBT podcast. So please, again, if you're listening to this, leave us a rating and a review. It means a lot to us, it means a lot to Josh in particular. I know, Josh, you read those ratings and reviews very, very religiously, right? All the time, Dan. Every day I'm just staring at the podcast numbers on Apple. <laughs> and Jake, do you recall where people can find us on social media? That's been a while since we've done this. At, they can find us at the tournament on Twitter, one word. On Instagram, it's a little bit different, the dot tournament on Instagram. That's where you can find us there. I know that has been a point of contention for Dan over the past couple of years, and I think we're still working on getting that account from the other guy, correct? Yeah, we still work on that. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, guys, I appreciate it again. We'll be touch base again very, very soon with some more preview pods, maybe some interviews, hopefully, that Josh is going to be able to do. But we will be back again. Don't forget to tune in, or I should say, Josh, remember to tune in to watch ESPN and ESPN3 this weekend to catch all the action from Hoop Fest and from the Big East Pod in Milwaukee. Thanks again, guys, and we'll talk soon. 